Shalom, and welcome to Parsha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Avraham Fisher, and this week's parasha and new sefer, new book of the Torah, is Shemot. And uh, there's a significant transition from the last uh, parasha, uh, which we'll talk about more. But uh, let's begin uh, by laying out the basic uh, elements of Parashat Shemot, at the beginning of the book of Shemot. Uh, Parashat Shemot uh, is divided into, let's say, four uh, four parts. Uh, the first part is kind of a continuation of uh, the end of the book of Breshit. The first part is the beginning of Egyptian subjugation. Remember that B'nai Yisrael, uh, the family of Yaakov, uh, have come down to Egypt, and uh, they're living in Egypt. Uh, the end of Sefer Bereshit was about the uh, the death of Yaakov and then the death of Yosef. Uh, but in the beginning of Shemot, uh, we learn that the, all of B'nai Yisrael uh, multiply in uh, in Egypt, they're starting with a, a large family of 70, uh, and they multiply. And this seems to uh, alarm the new king that that arises over Egypt. Uh, He says that B'nai Yisrael, a separate nation, a kind of a nation within a nation, are uh, multiplying so fast, and uh, we have to do something about this. We we need to uh, reduce their multiplying. And... Therefore, uh, he uh, passes decrees in which B'nai Israel are made to uh, work, uh, forced labor. The thinking being that uh, the increased labor will make them uh, too tired uh, to, to have more children. Uh, nevertheless, uh, B'nai Israel continue to, uh, to multiply despite all of this. And so... Uh, Paro tries uh, another attack, uh, the idea being to actually kill uh, the males of B'nai Israel. At first, uh, he approaches uh, two midwives and says that they should uh, observe whether the Hebrew baby is uh, male or female, and if male, uh, they should kill him, uh, and f- female to keep, uh, keep her alive. But the midwives uh, disobey. God uh, rewards them for this. So then Paro makes an even more extreme uh, decree that uh, all males are to be thrown into the, into the Nile, all male babies. And that seems to be uh, not only Hebrew babies, but all male babies. So this uh, shows us uh, how the, uh, the conditions of B'nai Israel are getting uh, are getting worse, and this is obviously the beginning of the subjugation of uh, of Israel. The beginning, also, if you would like to look at it uh, this way, uh, of the fulfillment of the decree that Hashem made uh, to Avraham at what's called the Brit Ben the covenant between the pieces, that uh, Avraham's descendants will first be strangers. Well, they were strangers in the time of. Uh, of Yosef and Yaakov, and then uh, enslaved, and from slavery proceeds to oppression, and that's where we're moving. In the midst of this, 
the second part of the parasha, uh, teaches us about the birth and the early life of Moshe. First, the circumstances of Moshe's birth. Uh, the Torah doesn't say anything special about, uh, about his family, uh, other than his uh, father and mother were from the tribe of Levi. Um, and uh, after uh, he's born, three months later, uh, his mother can't hide him any longer, so clearly this is during the time of the decrees of, against Hebrew babies, against male babies. So she hides him, but after three months, she places him in a basket that she has prepared uh, to be uh, watertight, uh, and she places him in the reeds and essentially uh, leaves him for Hashem to take care of him. And in fact, um, Hashem does take care of him, uh, the daughter of Paro, who is bathing, discovers him, and she has compassion on him, and so she takes care of him. And when she needs someone to nurse him, uh, presumably she can't do that, or uh, presumably the uh, the baby, who will someday be Moshe, will speak directly to God, uh, does not want to nurse from anyone else but a Hebrew uh, woman, uh, and in fact um, Moshe's sister who's been watching all of this uh, asks and brings Moshe's actual mother so his actual mother nurses him, and one would say has a, a longer relationship with him in those formative uh, years but eventually, uh, when uh, the time comes for him to be uh, weaned the daughter of Paro names him raises him, adopts him essentially and Moshe grows up in the palace. Uh, the Torah tells us how he goes out to observe his brethren, which means that he is aware that even though he is raised in the palace, he uh, knows uh, that he is a Hebrew. He goes out to see uh, what is happening, and we are given an insight into Moshe's uh, character. Uh, first, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave, and Moshe intervenes and actually kills the Egyptian, uh, thus saving his brother, his fellow Hebrew. Uh, and again, uh, Moshe could have taken the side of the Egyptian. After all, he was raised in the uh, palace of the Pharaoh. Nevertheless, he uh, certainly at that moment identifies more with the uh, with the Hebrew, the downtrodden. Uh, in... Um, in another event, uh, he gets involved between two Hebrews who are fighting with each other, and he tries to break this up, and they, um, their response to him uh, makes it clear that it is known that he has killed the Egyptian and hidden his body. Uh, and so Moshe realizes that he must leave. So he flees. He flees Egypt, and he goes to the land of Midian, where he intervenes uh, once again, uh, this time uh, saving uh, Midianite shepherdesses uh, from the uh, taunts of the local male shepherds, uh, showing that uh, Moshe's character is one that he cannot tolerate any uh, oppression or intolerance, and it doesn't matter whether it's one of his own uh, or even someone else, he gets involved. And so he uh, comes to live with the father of these shepherdesses, 
um, his name is Yitro, and uh, Moshe mar- marries Yitro's daughter, Sipora. And we are told also that uh, over the years, uh, they have the first of their children, whose name is Gershom, uh, in which uh, uh, Moshe names him after the fact that he uh, is a uh, he is a uh, a stranger uh, in uh, in a foreign land. The third part of the uh, parasha is where Hashem uh, chooses Moshe to go and to redeem Israel. The first step in this is the king who had imposed the original oppression dies over the years. He dies. And uh, this is when Israel cries out to Hashem. And this seems to be a turning point. When they cry out to Hashem for help, that is uh, when Hashem begins the process of uh, redemption. And uh, Moshe is going to be the uh, the messenger of Hashem uh, to be the instrument of that uh, redemption. Moshe is a uh, shepherd tending the flock of his father-in-law Yitro, and uh, he sees a uh, bush that is burning and yet is not being consumed. And so he uh, is curious about this and goes closer, and then he hears Hashem's voice speaking to him from within the bush, who tells him to remove his shoes because he's in a holy place. And then Hashem tells him, I will redeem Israel and bring them to their land. And this is a long-awaited promise because Hashem has said to Avram that the Bnei Israel would be brought back to to their land. And Yosef said before he dies that the time will come for Hashem to take you up from the land of Egypt. And so this seems to be uh, Hashem's uh, indication that uh, this process is about to to begin. Uh, And Hashem says further to Moshe, I am sending you to Paro to redeem Israel. Uh, What uh, follows is a dialogue between Moshe and Hashem. Moshe says, I am unworthy. I am not uh, worthy of this. I am not up to this task. Uh, and so Hashem says, no, you can be sure that this is going to happen. The time will come that the nation will be, uh, will be reunited uh, and assembled at this mountain and will worship Hashem, will encounter Hashem. That's where they will receive the mitzvot of the Torah. Moshe asks, but what if the people ask me, what is your name? By what name uh, are you to be called if I say that... Hashem has, uh, that you have spoken to me. And Hashem's response is, uh, I will be what I will be. Uh, and that is the name of Hashem uh, that uh, Moshe is to use. And so, uh, Hashem tells Moshe uh, about his mission. Gather the elders of Israel, tell them that Hashem has uh, surely uh, remembered you, go before Paro and demand that the people uh, of God uh, leave and have the opportunity to worship. But Moshe uh, is told in advance, you should know that Paro will refuse. And then Hashem says, my response to his refusal will be uh, that I will send plagues in order to punish him, uh, to punish Egypt for the way they have treated my people. And 
when the time comes for you to actually leave, and that will not hop- happen before I want it to happen, but when the time comes, you will ask the, the Egyptians for gold, silver, and garments, which seems to be a form of uh, reparations. Uh, Moshe continues uh, and, and insists that he doesn't uh, think he's up to this uh, task. He says, they're not going to believe me. Uh, and so Hashem gives Moshe a series of signs uh, to prove uh, that Hashem has indeed spoken to him, uh, that Moshe, to show that Moshe is uh, capable of doing miracles. And this is a way of showing that Moshe has been sent by Hashem. The first sign is to throw down his staff, which will turn into a snake, and then to grab hold of the tail of the snake, and it turns back into a staff. The second is to put his hand into his garment and then pull it out and it becomes uh, white with tzara'at disease. Um, and then when he puts his hand back, uh, it returns to its original state. And then Hashem says, and if these signs do not work, then the third sign is take water from the Nile, pour it onto the ground, and it will turn into blood. Moshe still insists, I'm not a man of words, and Hashem says, but I will tell you what to say. I will instruct you. And Moshe again insists, finally insists, and he doesn't seem to have any other arguments. So he says, please send someone else. And it's at this point that Hashem is angry. Because Hashem has said that uh, I will make sure that you will be successful. But Hashem is angry. And he says that uh, I will talk to you, Moshe. Uh, you will talk to your brother, Aharon, your older brother Aharon, and he will do the speaking for you. And Hashem reminds him, take your staff with you, uh, because you're going to use it for performing the various signs. The fourth and final uh, part of Parashat uh, Shemot is when Moshe returns to Egypt and has his first appearance before Paro. He leaves Midian, uh, consulting with his father-in-law, getting permission, uh, and he uh, leaves uh, Midian. Uh, along the way, there's a mysterious incident in which Moshe uh, and his family are at an inn, and uh, an angel of Hashem pursues Moshe. Moshe seems to have uh, neglected uh, to circumcise his uh, son, and um, because he stopped at the at the inn, uh, he should have done so should have used this opportunity, and yet he did not do so, and therefore Hashem is going to uh, punish him very uh, severely. Uh, but uh, when Sipora realizes what the issue is, she takes a sharp flint, and she circumcises him uh, herself. And then Moshe is able to continue. Um, and Aaron joins Moshe in Egypt. Moshe and Aaron come before uh, the uh, B'nai Yisrael, and he tells them that the time of redemption has come, and he does signs for them. And at first, the people believe that Hashem has finally remembered them, that the time has come uh, to take them out. Next, Moshe and Aaron go before Paro, uh, making the argument that Paro should release Israel to celebrate with Hashem. And Paro's response is, who is this God you speak of? Um, and Moshe and Aaron said, well, I'm talking about the God of the Hebrews. 
uh, he has sent uh, he has sent us. Paro is unmoved by this. He's never heard of uh, this god, and uh, and so he actually m- uh, increases the suffering of Bnei Israel. Uh, apparently, in order to make the bricks, which is the major task of the Hebrew slaves, in order to make bricks, it's necessary to have straw. And up until this point, straw has been provided for them. But, in order to increase their suffering, they're not going to be provided with straw. They will have to uh, go out and look for straw themselves, which will take extra time. They'll have to start extra early, because they will still be required to produce the same quota of bricks. So people must go to find the straw. And when they uh, fail to keep up, um, the slaves fail to keep up, so the Israelite officers who are in charge of the Hebrew slaves um, are the ones who are beaten, who are punished by the taskmasters over them who are Egyptian. You see here, there's a, a hierarchy in this slavery. On the bottom of the pyramid is uh, are the slaves. Above them are the Hebrew uh, officers who are responsible to see that the slaves produce what they're supposed to produce. And above them are Egyptian taskmasters. Uh, and when the Hebrew slaves don't produce what they are supposed to, the Egyptian taskmasters blame the Hebrew uh, uh, officers. And so the officers complain before uh, Paro, and Paro says, this is all because you are, uh, you are lazy. And then the officers complain before Moshe and Aaron, and Moshe and Aaron, or Moshe, uh, carries this complaint to Hashem, and he says... Things haven't gotten any better. As a matter of fact, things have gotten uh, worse. And Hashem's response is uh, essentially, now just wait and see. Uh, now you will see what I will do to Paro, because the time will come that he will not only let them go, but he will force them out with a strong hand. He will uh, encourage them to leave. Um, and in that way, they will... Uh, Paro will uh, eject him, uh, the people of Israel, from the land. But uh, before uh, before they could uh, they could go to that uh, level of, of redemption, they had to first sink even lower uh, to be even more oppressed. Let's go back to the beginning of uh, the parasha, the beginning of the sefer, uh, and uh, talk a little bit. Uh, about how the Sefer begins. Uh, the Sefer begins by saying, these are the names of the children of Israel uh, who came to Egypt with Yaakov, each one coming to this household. Now this is a reiteration of what we had towards the end of the book of uh, Breshit. The Ramban uh, has an introduction to the entire book of Shemot, as well as the Parashah of Shemot, but you now he's talking about the whole book. And uh, he has to deal with a few questions. The first question is, um, why did Breshit end where it did? Why is that the cutoff point before starting a new book? So he says that essentially Breshit is about formation, the book of creation. It's, of course, obviously the book of creation of the universe, but it's also the book of the creation formation of the beginnings of the Jewish people. That is through the uh, Avot, through Avraham, Yitzchak, and and Yaakov. So 
So it's a, a book of creation in that respect as well. And when, finally, at the end of the book of uh, Breshit, when all of B'nai Israel are together in Egypt, and uh, uh, they happen to, the place where they happen to be together is in Egypt, but they're all together, and the beginnings of the Jewish people have been, uh, have been placed into motion. Uh, so that is appropriate to end this book. Uh, and the reason why the Avot, why their stories are so important, says the Ramban, is that what happens in the lives of the uh, Avot and the Mahot, the patriarchs and matriarchs, um, and that which is, especially, I would add, what is recorded in the Torah, those events, so are important uh, hints for what is going to happen in the future to their descendants, to the Jewish uh, to the Jewish people. Now, um, when that is over, says uh, the Ramban, uh, when his book of formation is over, it's time to start another book. And the subject of that book is uh, to show how that which had been alluded to in the previous book uh, actually begins to come true. Um, all of those important events in the lives of the Avot begin to come true for their uh, descendants. In particular, the book of Shemot, says uh, the Ramban, uh, is distinguished uh, very obviously uh, with the story of the first exile, the exile to Egypt, uh, as well as the the redemption from uh, the land of Egypt, all of which has been uh, decreed beforehand. Remember, Hashem uh, said to Avraham, I mentioned this earlier, at the Brit Beda Batarim, the covenant between the pieces that uh, the children of uh, you know, the children of Avraham, or the descendants of Avraham, will be strangers in a land that's not theirs and enslaved and oppressed. So this has already been uh, decreed, and therefore it uh, it is definitely uh, going to happen. So the Book of Shemot uh, talks uh, about this, um, and first. Uh, on this issue, the Ramban says that is the reason why uh, the names of the children of Yaakov are repeated, uh, even though they were said earlier towards the end of the book of Breshit. Um, and that's because it's with this point of the story that the uh, fulfillment of this decree uh, goes, into, uh, goes into effect. It's the beginning of the exile. Now, uh, all of this is understandable about the first part of the book of uh, Shemot, uh, but the book of Shemot does not end with the uh, with the Exodus. Uh, there's more in it, and that's the next issue that the Ramban uh, deals with. Uh, what do all of the themes of the book of Shemot have in common with this initial idea of the fulfilling of the divine decree? The Ramban's essential answer is that the book of Shemot is not completed until all of the uh, goals of the exodus from Egypt are put into motion. Maybe not fulfilled entirely, but they are put into motion. What does that mean? So the purpose of the exodus was not merely to take the slaves out of Israel, out of Egypt rather, uh, but uh, the higher goal uh, was to restore them uh, to their original spiritual uh, status. Uh, they had sunk very, very low as slaves 
obviously because they were enslaved, they were working, but also because uh, they went to a very low uh, moral and spiritual plane. And the book of Shemot uh, has to uh, end only when that original state of uh, uh, that was at the time of the Avot uh, is uh, is, achieved, is uh, retrieved. Um, and so, when they left Egypt, uh, that's not the end of the book of Shemot, because they were still uh, in exile. They were in a land that wasn't theirs. They were in the desert. They come to Har Sinai, and they build the tabernacle, and all of this goes towards the purpose uh, of uh, beginning to fulfill uh, all of uh, all of this, but the but the book of Shemot isn't quite uh, finished yet. Uh, but then, when they have received the mitzvot of the Torah, the beginning of the mitzvot of the Torah, and they have be- begun uh, to build the tabernacle, the Mishkan, when they actually finish the building of the tabernacle, uh, the uh, divine presence, the Shekhinah, comes to dwell. And then the divine presence uh, dwells in their midst. And that's the purpose of the, uh, of the Exodus, to have the divine presence uh, dwelling in the midst of B'nai Yisrael once again as it had uh, in the time of the, uh, of the Avot. The, uh, the Ramban talks about the Avot being uh, the actual chariot of God, the, if you will, the vehicle through which God is known about in uh, the world. That's what the Avot did during their lifetime. And it's only when B'nai Israel are out of Egypt, they're no longer slaves, they've received the Torah, they build the Mishkan, and they bring the Divine Presence back into their midst, that they have uh, once again achieved that level um, of uh, Divine interaction, or interaction with the Divine, uh, that uh, that the whole Yitzhak Mitzrayim, the whole Exodus was about, and that can bring the book of Shemot to uh, a close. And so as an introduction to the book of Shemot, the Ramban doesn't only talk about why is Shemot separate from Baishit at this point, but why Shemot ends when it does and not earlier. Uh, because the purpose of the Exodus is more than just the freeing of slaves, it is the restoration of moral and spiritual uh, status. I thank you all very much for joining me in this exploration of Parashat Shemot, which begins the Book of Shemot. This has been Rabbi Avraham Fisher for Parashat Highlights and Insights, saying Shalom.